everybody, and welcome to Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. My name is Tom Singer, and I have the honor to host this show, which is the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. And every single week, we interview experts from the world of speaking about different topics that can help all of us make more money. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about insights into the mystery of being selected to be on the TEDx stage. And today, we are joined by Haley Foster. Hi, Haley. Hi, Tom. It's great to be here. I am so glad to have you here. Haley, what are your two tips for people who want to be selected for the TEDx stage? Well, they need to be understanding the codes and the landmines. And number two, it's about more than your content. Ooh, I want to know what these codes and landmines are all about. But for those of you who don't know who Haley Foster is, she teaches people how to do the TEDx stage correctly. She is actually one of the founders of the first large-scale TEDx event back in 2009, which was TEDx NASA. And since that time, she has taken her experience and her journey through TED and TEDx to help many, many, many speakers be able to uh, deliver their messages better so that they can be picked to be on the TEDx stage. So, Haley, let's start with TEDx NASA 2009. How did you even get involved with that? Actually, my husband was Deputy Director of Strategic Relationships at NASA when he received an email from TED, which was not well known at the time. And it said, would anyone like to do an independently organized TED-style event? And he thought, NASA, uh, TED asked great questions. NASA comes up with great answers. This is a strategic relationship. And he came home and he said, I've rented Ferguson Center of the Arts. We're going to do this TEDx NASA thing. And, and lucky for your husband, he was married to a professional speaker so that he could help navigate the landmines of putting on a massive event. Well, yes, it was quite an undertaking and no one had ever done it on this scale. It was twice the size of a regular TED event and we had never been to a TED event, which wouldn't even be allowed now. But they were so excited to hear that NASA was interested. And I said, you're an engineer. What are you doing? I don't want your program to stink. I will help you. Now, I'd been in NSA for like seven or eight years. Let's see. This is my 20th year. So 2009, yeah. So, so I had some background and I thought, how am I going to get these world-renowned neuroscientists to speak in six 12 or 18 minutes and make any sense? <laughs> and that's how I invented a way to short uh, talk speaker coach. Nice. So you coached all the speakers through TEDx NASA. It was a very successful event. And then you went on to get very involved with the TED organization and TEDx's doing this, this coaching and, and stuff like that. What has the journey been like for the past, gosh, 12 years? Well, the first two years, I was kind of a missionary for TEDx. And uh, because, you know, it was it's all volunteer. Most things are still volunteer. And what happened was I had a business coach that I was working with who said, Haley, uh, why don't you charge for the speaker coaching thing you're doing? And at that time, Ted was getting the idea that people were devoting their lives to this and going broke. So that was about the time they started certain positions that were allowed to be paid. And, uh, and it, it, it expanded, actually, because, because TEDx produced so much content and because TED got more and more well-known over time, then high-stakes short talks became really the way of the future. And now it, the future is here. 
Now people want short talks all the time. Yeah, and it's beyond the TEDx stage. People want short talks for the conferences that all of us speak at. So you coach people on not just TEDx, but how to make a successful 10 or 15 or 20 minute talk in any environment. So how many people now would you say from that first TEDx NASA until 2022, how many people would you say you've worked with? Oh, gosh, Um, upwards of a thousand probably. So let's get into this idea of how to get selected for TEDx, because we're talking today about insights into the mystery of being picked. And for a lot of people, it is a mystery. Now, I have had the honor to do a TEDx talk several years ago, and full disclosure, I hired a coach to help me make sure that my talk was going to be as good as it could be during that 18 minutes. And I actually did work with Haley Foster, but I did not work with Haley to actually get on the TEDx stage. And one of the problems that I faced was I was kind of spraying and praying with applying, filling out forms to all of these different TEDx's around the country. And I was turned down like something like 25 different times over several years. And the way I finally landed a TEDx stage was another speaker who had spoken at the TEDx uh, in Kansas City the year before referred me to that particular group. So it was actually people uh, and connections that helped me actually land the stage that I eventually did. But you work with people from their earliest idea through their application process and then to when they're actually, you know, creating the speech itself. So what do you mean by your first tip that you have to understand the codes and the landmines? Because I think I probably stepped on a lot of landmines those first times I applied. Well, so you know how when we'll start with codes, you know how in a job interview, they say, so tell me about yourself. And that's not really how you're going to answer by giving them, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs about your life story. What you'd answer with is how your skills are the best fit for the job. And it's the same is true with this. So when they ask you things like, let me think of an example. The question in an application might be, tell us about your topic. So they don't want you to write a white paper on your topic (laughs) on the application. What they want to do is they want to hear in like two or three sentences, what is your idea and what makes it distinctive? Okay. So one of the things that's a landmine that's associated with an application is that you might think they're going to start with the application and go from top to bottom. That's not how they do it. It depends. Each event is independently organized. They each have their own culture around content curation. So there are many ways. And you don't know how that application uh, or that inquiry is going to be processed. It could be an Excel spreadsheet. It could be a completely flat organization of eight people who all then rate you on a scale and add up all the numbers. Or it might be an event that looks for great videos. So you fill out your whole application, but they start with the two minute video, which another landmine is respect time. If this is Ted, two minutes means two minutes or under. It does not mean two minutes and 29 seconds. So that would be a landmine. If you are applying and you're going for an application, you have to make sure that every question that you answer leads them to want to hear the next question. Every single answer needs to uh, create this circular effect so that no matter where they start, they want to learn more. So it sounds like because they're all independently organized, 
that there's a little bit of a crapshoot at the level of sophistication that they're going to have in selecting speakers. So what are some of the other things that you've seen as far as like what they're looking for in one group is different, what they look for in another group, et cetera. What, what are some of those things that people need to be aware of when they're applying because they're so different for every, every, uh, organizing committee. Okay. So there, so part of this is not a mystery because you can find out from longstanding events, what their stick is. Okay. So every event has a theme. So the first thing you want to make sure of is that your talk somehow relates to the theme. That's the thread that runs through the entire program that holds it together, okay? If it doesn't relate to the theme, if there's nothing about you, there's nothing about your idea, it's just not relevant this time. So, so let, let's talk there's about- There's also cultures. Let, let me jump in and talk about themes for just a second. And that is like their theme might be dream big or you know fresh thoughts or something like that. Do you want, when you're filling out the application, is what I hear you saying is you want to make sure that we can totally relate your topic to dream big or fresh thoughts. Correct. But you don't want to do the professional speaker thing. Okay. Other landmines. Like they don't like the professional speaking style. It is antithetical to giving a good TED talk. And as you did and many of your colleagues, because I have, say, a subspecialty in working with speaking professionals, and they're very hard to retrain. They don't want your acronym, okay? They don't want your 12 reasons to. What they want, and they don't actually want speaking professionals. So a landmine is, in terms of the application, you want to describe what you're doing so that they understand it relates to Dream Big. They don't want you to put... You know, dream big D stands for whatever R stands, you know, like <laughs> don't, they don't like that. So, so what you're saying is don't pander too much to the theme, but find a way to link your topic to the theme. It needs to be obvious. It needs to be obvious without you stating it. Gotcha. Okay? Don't weave it in to your, to your, any of your descriptions, really. Maybe one, maybe like in your video, you might say something about it, um, but also Another landmine is they do not, they in fact discourage their organizers from accepting speaking professionals. So when you are writing your bio, do not say, well, I'm a professional speaker. I speak to these audiences. Why? Like you're like, you just kicked yourself out of the running without even having been looked at. So what you want to do is include speaking in your bio, because they really want people who aren't going to freeze on stage, who are going to seem like they're giving a great talk, who are going to put effort into it, um, who are experienced and not too green. But you want to highlight something else. So you might want to highlight your expertise, because they are looking for experts who speak. And some, so going back to your point of what are different events looking for? Well, it depends. Some have a culture already established. TEDx Naperville is an interactive event. They have, a, you know, a high wire guy walking across the audience. I would be a terrible fit for that. I'm not going to have everybody singing. You know, that's not my shtick. So you, ha you can find out because those events are longstanding. Another thing is that they are looking for oftentimes diversity of speakers and diversity of thought. They could be looking for celebrities. They could be looking for the movement starters. So one of the things they love is original research and personal development. 
And what would be awesome is if you took your original research and you had personal development and then you started some kind of movement that you could point to the outcome of it because they're, they're very contributory. This is a context in which you have to think about what you can give, not what you can get. And that's also why they don't like us because now over time, meeting planners are using TEDx talks for audition videos. That wasn't the way it was before. And people are using it for promotion. All they want to do is get their million views. I'm telling you, they don't want that. They do want people who have an idea that's different, that's a new twist on an old way of thinking about something, that you did something extraordinary, like you did something extraordinary. That was a great thing. Um, can I plug your talk? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so is it compounded <laughs> I'm, I'm a, generosity? Wait, wait a minute, I'm a professional speaker. Of course you can pledge my uh, plug my talk. My talk was called The Art of Giving Small, and I talk about compounded generosity. Right, which we had to make up, right? So you came to me having done this extraordinary thing, which is a giving back thing. Everybody should learn from this. It's, it's how giving small over time grows and can make you a large contributor and why it's better for organizations like nonprofits to have people like you who give consistently and that collectively gives them a baseline. And it was awesome, but we had to figure out what to call it. Right. Right. Well, well, and, and the other thing was going back to what you said earlier is that's what I found in those 25 applications where I was not selected. The fact that I was a professional speaker and they, they weren't interested in that and they were not interested in the topic that I speak about as a professional speaker. Once I switched over and made my applications about this particular topic that the talk was on, this art of giving small and this compounded generosity, and I made it clear that while I speak, this wasn't what I was paid to speak. All of a sudden, I ended up on the short list of a couple of TEDx's and landed the one that I got. So I wanted to go back to that part where you talked about the fact that they actively, I don't know if it's frown, but they actively don't look. They actively discourage looking for people who might be viewed as professional speakers. So why is that? Well, what they say in their materials is that uh, professional speakers have platforms, and this is for people who don't have platforms. In my experience, our colleagues can be difficult. <laughs> okay, that's that's a fair right. way to so phrase it. So they're used to being well. They're used to being the marquee. They want to fly in, do their shtick, and get going. That's not what this is for. This is to create a community of speakers, a community of thinkers, a community that's going to give back. They're all locally organized. So another thing that's a code is tell us about why this event might be a question. And so you want to tell them about how much you love Ted and all the ideas. Be Ted centric and then say, and I am from wherever it is they are. Or I went to college at their local university. One from, you know, Santa Fe in New York City, they will, but also they'll probably tell you to pay your own way which in the beginning we paid speakers way. And now this is very shiny and they don't have to do that. They'll use their funds to do something else like promotional materials or, you know, set design or whatever. So understanding the codes 
are the questions that they're really asking you and how you need to answer them so that you don't take yourself out of the running, which is a landmine. You take yourself out of the running by being self-centric. Um, you take yourself out of the running by, oh, also you need to know the cardinal sins of Ted. Everybody should know this. Well, well quick, quick. Right. What are the cardinal sins of Ted? Okay. Okay. No politics, no religion, no pseudoscience. Okay. So, so define define pseudoscience, because I know from a couple of TEDx's that I've been involved in, that has been a problem for some organizers. Yes. Um, in fact, um, my husband, Steve Kraft, was on the original team that started to develop what the guidelines ought to be. And it was hard because when you think about it, if you're looking for a new scientific idea, you know, Copernicus was a new scientific idea in the first place, right? So, which turned out to be quite valid. So it's a line they walk, but they tend to err now on the side of conservatism. So if what you do has something to do with science or medicine, be prepared to back up everything you say with some already existing materials, right? Because they'll ask you for them. They'll simply not post your talk and say, could you please provide blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's really important. And as I said, like a pseudoscience, you know, one person's science is another person's woo-woo. And so that can be ticklish. They do give you the opportunity to clarify. So I, I think for our people also, uh, as I said, I cannot state this enough. Self-promotion. You have to be there for what you're going to give, not what you hope to get. Whatever you get is great for you. That's not why you're going. And the last thing with our people is copyright infringement. That is a big problem. You can't take now. And I know we worked on it. We had a whole, a whole year that we worked on how to properly cite things and how not to accidentally steal other people's stuff, right? That they you used it for so long. It sort of felt like your own and you stopped citing it. That is not cool. They won't post your talk. So, it's important that if you use a, an image, you own the copy, you own the rights to it. It's easier to take your own picture or create your own images than you do own the rights to it. If there's a photo that you need because it is so integral to your talk that you can't do it without it, you must have in writing a release from that photographer and re be ready to hand it over. And that was true in my talk because I made reference to Dell Children's Hospital and Rady Children's Hospital. And in both cases, I got before I did the talk, I got the hospital to provide me with the photos of their buildings with a release because I needed to provide a release with those photos. Yes, I recall who told you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That might have that might have been you who told me to do that. That's but there's some things that I can anticipate. I've had so much experience. But just a couple of days ago, I got one I didn't anticipate. A speaker whose personal story was told. It was her story. But it involved medical diagnosis. And they came back with, we would like to see the speaker's bio. And, and I was like, oh, your story is so fantabulous that they almost don't believe it. Nice. So we're yeah. going to need to get the doctor's records so you can prove that the thing that happened did indeed happen and how and that you did indeed overcome it.
So that that's an interesting piece that even your own story may need to have some sort of a backup for them to be able to to accept you and then later to post that story. So before we run out of time in this interview, I need to go to tip number two. I love all these codes and landmines, but I loved your part about tip number two, that it's more than just your content. Sometimes as speakers, we fall in love with our content and we think this is so good and it is science and it is backed up and I can prove it. And the story is amazing that we think that that alone, the story and the content alone are going to be enough. And you're saying that's not enough. Well, as I said, people knock themselves out of the running before they even get to that part. So you have to, so your content may be great, but if you're not great at describing it in the TED style, you're still not going to get picked. Hmm. So remember, we are wordy, be succinct. So when they ask you to tell about your idea, they're also going to say, well, tell us more about yourself. Okay. Which is code for, Tell us why you are the ideal delivery system for this particular idea. Because you could have a great idea, and it might be something new. But if it's about psychology and you're a sales manager, they may not let you say it because you don't have the creds. Mm. So it's, it's not – it is your content, but it's how you present the content in a way that's palatable for them to go further. And as I said – in every piece of this, the goal is to get them to the next section. Some events, they'll start with experts and speaker bios first. Some events will see how you speak on your video, because if they think you aren't very good, or if they think you're very motivational and whatever, they'll be like, oh, not our style, next. And your idea won't even really get listened to. Your content is not going to be heard. So, so one of the things that's really important is to be able to get your idea into two sentences, two succinct sentences. It can take you weeks to write that sentence, but once you have it, you've got it. The next thing is titling. You know, they might say, well, what might you call your talk? Well, when you title your talk, the idea is that you find a name that creates interest that's a nod to the topic without giving away the content of the talk. Because if it's a short talk and you title it like you would, you know, a, a, a college essay and you're telling them what you're going to tell them, then they're not going to let you tell them. <laughs> so, so you have to think of things like I had one called the, uh, so we had TEDx NASA. The first one was called a, a space to create. Mm-hmm. What's great about that theme because space, because it's NASA. It's NASA. Yeah, I got I got that tie right. in. There was but a dual entendre, create, dual entendre right. there. But see, that let us talk about art because it's space to create. Like, it let us talk about architecture. It, it gave us – so this talk was the neuroscientist, uh, Paul Arovich, who I mentioned, who's used to lecturing at Eastern Virginia Medical School for three hours at a clip, and he can do that. He had seven minutes, Right. So getting him into seven minutes was challenging. The name of his talk was the universe between your ears. Ooh, I like it. It does. I like it. It makes, it makes you, I just leaned in and I'm on audio. (laughs) Right. So uh, I think people will. So over time, someone who I coached as a, as a mid-age teen, 15 has actually become one of us, Brandon Farbstein. And his talk is about a little person innovating an uncommon mobility device. 
Well, we called that upwardly mobile. Ah. So you just want you want to give a hint to it, but you don't want to name it the content of the talk. And if they see that, they're going to be like, oh, that's interesting. They may not even let you use it, but they get that you get this. Now, that brings up another point is sometimes they'll come back to you and say, we've selected you. We love your topic. You're a great speaker. That title's not going to work for us for whatever reason. And you have to retitle. So that happened to me in the planning and it caught me off guard. And my first reaction was, what the heck? You know, what are you talking about? And then I remind was reminded, maybe if I had a coach helping me, that this is their event. You have to respect where they want to go. And we went to the drawing board and came up with the art of giving small, which in retrospect, they loved and they actually helped write it to some extent. But I actually love it now years after it. When I tell people about my TEDx and I say it's called the art of giving small, I actually really like the title. And it wasn't at all where I was going with the original with the original talk. So I think it works out really well. And it piques curiosity. You're like, the art of getting small, I didn't think that made any difference at all, right? So, you know, it makes people want to know what it is. And, gee, could I do that? Which, by the way, they can. And if you listen to Tom's talk, you will learn how. So another thing I want you to know about it not being your content, uh, it, may, it, it may not be the right place for you. So you, you know, went through all these. And, oh, another landmine. Do not... Put in a hundred applications for TEDx events around the country at the same time. Mm. Ask me why. Oh, please tell me why. Because TEDx organizers talk to each other and they'll say, oh, have you seen this guy? And they will post your picture on the TEDx organizers thread and you will be blacklisted for, for trying to get in. But you will be blacklisted as someone who is just shopping for himself. So now it's interesting. There's a lot of people out there selling courses and things that tell you to do exactly what you just said to apply to 50 or a hundred all at once. And you're saying that the, 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 the organizers are now wise to that and they're sharing information with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it would be okay to continuously apply, but I would not do, you know, a, a mass throwing out of the net. Right. I would say like, pick a few, Pick a few more, but I have to say, I've had so much experiences. I recently had an experience with a woman who I worked with for months on her talk. It is fabulous. It just came out and it's called, um, when I stopped hiding, I found freedom. Uh, Ruth Rathblot, who's one of ours, by the way, uh, from the New York chapter. And two and a half weeks before her event, it was canceled because of the new COVID variant. Mm. So here she was all set up to do all these things, you know, right before disability month. And it it does have something to do with that. And there was nothing. It was, it was awful. And she, she really suffered over this. And it just so happened that there was an event that had a speaker who dropped out that I happened to know about. Now I can't put you in an event, but I have a good reputation. And if I say, Hey, I just heard about this. Would you consider helping us out? Because this happened and the talk's already written. It's ready to go. Would you look at this speaker? So they happen to select her. That is not a given. But there are all kinds of ways that this happens. I have a, a guy who, uh, who created a movie about Wells Crowther, who you may have heard about. He's called The Man in the Red Bandana. And when he was in the first tower on 9-11, 
after it was hit, instead of going down and saving himself, he put on a red bandana that he had in his pocket. He tied it around his uh, nose and mouth, and he saved 11 people before the building fell. And this is a movie about that. So, of course, the speaker went to places in New York. He went, he, he tried places near where he lived in South Florida and was really super frustrated. And it took a long time. But it was finally accepted at TEDx Boston College. Hmm. Can you guess why? No, why? Because that's the university that Wells graduated from. Ah, oh, so that's in an fact, interesting piece of context to that whole thing is is tying your context back that way. That's your content back that way. That's fascinating. Well, that took a phone call because they already had Wells Crowder Day there. He's already held up as a hero. He, all the freshmen have to learn about his story, which we didn't know. We heard that TEDx Boston College was going to happen. It had it was a new event, and. So he picked up the phone and called them and told him about the movie that he made. And they said, yes. So, Haley, a last question I want to bring up in this this whole idea is how important are your contacts when it comes to getting that? I got my TEDx through another speaker who recommended me. I probably know eight or ten people who've done TEDx's that came through a connection to somebody on the organizing committee or somebody in that community. So what are your thoughts about using your network to help you get in? It's a great thought. And I tell everybody to do it. I don't get attached to any one thing or person or place. You, what you can do though is, is you start talking to people. So it's who you are in relation to remember each place. You know, that's their thing. That's, that's their, they want it to be related to them. So if you went to a university, by all rights, as an alum, you have a right to, to do that. The small town you grew up in, if there's an adjacent event, hey, he's an Illinois boy. That's someplace to go. Fraternities, sororities, um, other speakers who've already been in events sometimes maintain their ties with that community, and they might be able to suggest somebody. You know, there might be somebody who starts an event and is looking for people, uh, but a cautionary tale about that. When you go into a new event, they are going to be green and things are going to go wrong. You also don't have any uh, anything to look at on the TEDx YouTube channel to check out their production value. So if you were a university professor and you were doing this talk so that you could stop the dog and pony show and get off the road and you could just send this around, you know, via the alumni association to try to do fundraising. It'd be fine. We don't care if you're green, but we do care if you're a speaking professional because all of these videos are controlled by Ted and they are published under creative Commons, which means you can use them forever for free, but you can't take them down. So for us, production value is an issue. And you also want to make sure that your event, whoever starts it, has some business sense. Because if they can't manage money, if they can't get sponsorship, you might do a great job in person, and they might have no money for Mm post-production. And so they don't edit it at all. And it comes out not something that is usable. 
sure. for your purposes. Sure. Well, on even the back end, even mine, there was a production problem and the sound is a little wonky. It's usable. It's fine. But every time I listen to it, I just cringe a little because the sound isn't perfect and it's out of totally out of my control. So, Haley, this has been awesome right. to have you share all of these informations and sort of decode some of the behind the scene mysteries behind TEDx. Any last words for the professional speaking community, whether they're members of NSA or beyond on landing that TEDx? Any last little tidbit? Remember, we are not we're not there for the number of minutes on stage. We're there to provide content, impact and memorability of the message. We want that to be sticky. And that's what's in fact going to get you in. Awesome. Well, Haley Foster, thank you for so much for joining us here on Speakernomics. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and, and listened. I'll tell you what, I want you to join us here every single week. We are about to hit the first birthday of Speakernomics. We launched it just in January of 2021. We are now entering 2022 and we are launching a whole nother year where we are going to bring you great ideas on how you can make more money as a professional speaker. So make sure you've subscribed to Speakernomics. Make sure that you're you're subscribed to everything that the National Speakers Association has to offer and never forget the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.